If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Please keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times. You are now entering the flip side. Welcome back to the Flipside Podcast, where we talk everything upside down and inside out. And today, I'm so excited. We have Kiefer O'Sullivan on. Uh, this is a friend of mine who we tend to nerd out on some different topics here and there. And I was like, Kiefer, you've got to come on and share all of this on the Flipside because I know you guys are going to love the content that we're talking about today. Uh, he's a neuroscientist. I'm going to let him explain his background, but he does a lot of research on meditation and how it affects our brain. He just is so full of knowledge and I'm so excited that you're here Kiefer so thank you so much for joining me today and sharing a space where we can nerd out together this is going to be great oh yeah thank you nerding out is always fun so any opportunity to just like get to do that is just you know almost sacred in today's day and age like good <laughs> conversations are are always fun and yeah so you know as was said I'm kind of a almost like a little bit of a union or I try to be between two different elements that are often seen as like two different sides of a fence, right? The spirituality aspect or the meditation or what some people might call like the woo-woo or, you know, goes by many different terms. And then like this more, um, you know, academic science, neuroscience kind of based uh, guy, because that's my official training um, and my degrees are in neuroscience. So I guess, you know, my little background in a nutshell is that, you know, I've always loved the brain. I've always loved science in particular, anything to do with the brain, the mind, awareness, you know, dreams, uh, senses, perceptions. I, I always just followed that track my whole life. Um, so I moved to America when I was 16 and I came, um, did my last two years of American high school and went to college up in Marin, uh, Marin County, California. Um, and there, so I um, wanted to study neuroscience, but they didn't have a neuroscience dedicated major at my university. Um, and so I was fortunate enough that they allowed me to basically craft my own, uh, which was like a bio major and then a double minor in chem and psych. So I could then be like, okay, 
what actually forms a neuroscience major and that's I want to do that and study all those things and so that was like a wonderful experience wonderful experience there and then following that um, I went to Arizona for my graduate school training so I was uh, in Glendale Arizona which is pretty close to Phoenix right in that southern desert you know very typical Arizona area with the big you know cacti everywhere and all this type of thing um, very different from Ireland I'll say that the yeah. direct opposite um, but there I did my graduate training, uh, did a master's in biomedical science, focusing in neuroscience. Um, and so between, you know, up until that time, you know, for my undergraduate training, getting my bachelor's, uh, I had a focus on brain cancer. So I, had a, I did a undergrad thesis on like glioma, which is um, a form, it's like a brain tumor, basically a certain kind of brain tumor and brain tumors are pretty hard to treat and so on and so forth. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get on a project and make that a thesis project for myself. Uh, following that in grad school, I got into neurodegenerative diseases. So Parkinson's was my specific focus. Um, and so I was actually using fruit flies as a model for Parkinson's. Oh. Um, so it was like interesting, like there's different model species that you can use. There's like mice, there's worms, there's fruit flies. There's all kinds of different, like they're called model species for science. Um, I ended up using um, fruit flies because it's really easy to kill a fruit fly and not feel bad. Yeah. Or if your experiment goes wrong, it's not like, oh, oh dear. Um, but I was using them as a model, basically having flies with Parkinson's and then doing experiments wow. to study how do these different substances or different behaviors or different things, how are they affected by, you know, different treatments. Um, uh, and basically the reason why we're just probably, you know, somebody listening that's like, why are you studying Parkinson's and fruit flies? Their brains are like, just, it's like the grain of sand almost, but you know, it's funny, it's actually like, I think about 75% of the genetics of the human brain are conserved in the fly brain. Um, and since Parkinson's wow. actually, yeah, so life is very similar. And that's why we use different species. Um, so like the fly brain has um, certain structures that are similar to our human structures, not everything, obviously, they don't have like, the cerebral cortex that has this amazing abstract ability to develop philosophy and art and music. Um, but, you know, Parkinson's happens in some of the core, very core regions of the brain that are associated with dopamine and motor movements. And they have like similar structures. So it makes a really, really nice uh, model species for somebody to go in and be able to, and you can breed them very quickly too. And yeah. there's a whole thing there. Um, so that was kind of my background in like academia. So it was a very academic lab science working with, um, you know, on the biomedical side of things, working with disease conditions. Uh, but the whole time that I was that, you know, that, that student and that uh, researcher in academia, I'd always had a passion for the otherworldly and everything yeah. that, you know, just that giant umbrella of whatever it may be, you know, whether that's interesting things about aliens or other states of consciousness or meditation. Um, because one of the things I had started when I first came to America was I took a class on comparative religions that I like oh, loved because yeah. it was one of those courses where you could go and see, like they'd go through each or many, many, many different religions and you would experience each one and you'd take field trips to go to like temples and um, different things for Buddhism and Hinduism and all different forms of Christianity and 
you know, all these different things. And it was really there that I was really introduced to the concept of meditation and actually yeah. experience, experiencing it. So as somebody that's a bit more of an introvert, typically that's, you know, my persona is very more introverted. I'm the lab science nerd guy. Um, so coming to Amer- moving to America when I was 16 was like a big, you know, yeah. big social thing. Um, I think like when you're 16, that's probably when you have like that high school era friend group, maybe yeah. like that most core friend group debatedly, or it's different for everybody. But, um, you know, after 16 years in the social circle, you're pretty well established. And then you fly all the way across the world and it's a bit uh, daunting, you know. Um, so to deal with some of the maybe social anxiety or just general anxiety of, you know, dealing with that process and and adjusting, uh, I started to meditate. So Zen uh, meditation was the the first type of meditation, um, that I learned and really kind of fell in love with it. And it satisfied these two different paths in my life where a, it was like this very effective wellness tool to help my psyche, to help my body, my brain, my mind, and whatever else, just, you know, equilibrate, balance, just allow itself to be peaceful and to, you know, live a normal life as much as possible. But it also opens up these doorways to other realms and things like that. When you start to get into the different meditation philosophy or different experiences that can happen, um, it starts to like get your mind running about "Mm, there's other things behind this dimension, this universe, this existence. There's something else that we as humans do not have a daily ability to kind of access or appreciate in a way where, you know, we can stamp it as, Hey, you know, I don't know the the astral plane or, or some other dimension or something, you know, it's very hard to, you know, that's not daily talk, right? It's almost like, this hidden esoteric stuff and meditation started to satisfy that aspect of me. And so it was something that I continued. Um, So that was when I was about 17, 18. um, But I started and I'm 31 now. Try not to think about it, but I'm 31 now. So that's like a long, you know, over 10 years kind of doing meditation and different meditation experiences. And so I'd always wanted to take that aspect of things the meditation that the awareness the more fluid less traditional aspects of awareness and to combine them with my own career with my own kind of studies in neuroscience Um, and so what was really um, a great opportunity for me was my after grad school my fiance at the time who's now my wife Um, She got, she's a medical doctor. And so she got her residency in Los Angeles. Um, And so we are big Disneyland fans anyway. So of course we moved to Los Angeles (laughs) and um, you know, she had a residency there and I was fortunate enough. I got a job with a brain health company and kind of how we defined ourselves. You can always almost imagine like a brain health spa in Santa Monica and I started as a facilitator just kind of providing experiences Uh, and I was very fortunate to to quickly um, rise up the ranks and be able to uh, basically like be the director of operations and to kind of oversee a lot of the stuff it was still a very you know to start a very small company just like you know a handful of people but it was wonderful for me because we had tremendous equipment 
Um, and it was basically like an excuse for me to be like, hey, here's all of this science stuff that I've been sitting on for so long and wanting to get into and share with people. And now here's an actual, you know, brick and mortar spa place that I have that I can, you know, play with some stuff, play with different technologies, different techniques, different aspects of the things that I'm interested in and provide them to people for who would often come in for things like anxiety, mm -hmm. um, depression. Uh, I would do things as well, like corporate um, consulting and things like that, where I think it's becoming an increasing trend where, you know, meditation is something real and companies are beginning to realize that too, is, is yeah. that, you know, a, a group of employees that are healthy and happy and have good mental wellness and physical wellness and just a general wellness of their awareness day to day, they actually they work less hard, but get more done. Right. Yeah, like yeah. it's like this thing where they're more peaceful. And so there's also that aspect of it opening up as well, where I could deal with, um, you know, CEOs that would come in and say, oh, you know, you were recommended to me, but I don't know what this is all about. And I think that was where some, I, I really realized the true virtues of um, being a scientist in that sphere yeah. is that you can ground a lot of this stuff for these people. Um, so when I was approached by, you know, let's just say the CEO that comes in and he's, you know, one of these LA guys and, you know, makes a kajillion dollars and he's like, I don't really believe any of this hippie yeah. crap. And I was just told here because I hired a consultant who told me to come in and get my staff to do this. And I just thought this was hippie crap in the seventies, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I kind of try and turn their perspectives around a little bit because I'd be like, well, I'm not a guru. I, I haven't been doing, you know, uh, solid meditations in India for 10 years. I'm not like growing a beard and my hair out and wearing a robe, walking around. I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm a neuroscientist, but I'm, I'm uh, still on the same side as all those spiritual aspects that are kind of being proven but I'm not necessarily a spiritualist. I'm a, I'm a scientist, right? Or at least, you know, on paper, I could say that for those guys. Yeah. And um, it began to turn them around because one of the analogies that I use that I think is a very effective way of talking about the neuroscience of meditation is that, you know, it's like going to the gym for your brain. Yeah. Um, so just like a muscle you know, it's kind of like you use it or you lose it kind of thing. Like if you train it in a certain way, it will grow in a certain way. Yeah. The brain has those same principles to where what you use it for, it will train and adapt towards whatever that it's most used for. Mm -hmm. um, and this can actually be like good and bad um, because in our modern day and age, we are almost kind of victimized by our environment in a sense yeah. where we are accidentally training our brains in so many poor ways and so many negative ways in, in today's day and age, just because we are, um, you know, bombarded with news headlines and social media. And every time you bump into somebody, they want to say how much they disagree with something on the news or something that's going on or trying to talk to family. And, you know, it seems like everything has gotten more stressful in 2023 or the last few years 
especially as technology increases and we have these phones in our pockets that are constantly going off with a million notifications from around the world and the human brain, which used to be a, you know, a smaller family group, tribal type of, you know, species has now become this like global awareness thing, which overwhelms us. Um, And so that's why I think, you know, like there's epidemics in today's society, but I think the biggest epidemic is anxiety and depression, right? Those. Yeah, agreed. No PTSD, burnout, um, and those types of things, because we are so bombarded with the constant need for vigilance, right? Oh, like, you know, yeah. things are pinging that this is going off, that's going off. There's a new head news headline. Uh, we've got work, uh, work meetings, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. all of those different things about the way society also tells us what we should be, or, you know, I think we're both kind of young 30 somethings right now yeah. in 2023 and society likes to bombard us with, well, you know, or, or even like older generations, you should have a house and a family. And, you know, in my day, I was had, you know, a job and a house and three kids. Yeah. And like, oh, it's, it's a bit different now. We're working on it. Yeah, it's, like, it's not the same as when you guys were in, you know, school. You couldn't just go get a job and that job would pay for right. everything. And, you know, I'm having those weird existential moments where I'm, you know, going through family pictures and my brother just had a baby and it's the first baby of like our new generation. So we're looking at old pictures and there's a picture of, uh, you know, like my dad with me when I was one, two, you know, just a very young baby. And I was like looking at it and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I I hope that for myself one day. And then you like look at the date and it's like, he's younger there than I am now yeah. you know with like the house and the family and all that stuff and yeah. you know, so there's that aspect of it that is constantly fed back to us uh, and I'm sure you know every generation has similar problems if not the same problems about what we should be or shouldn't be and that creates that anxiety depression so really all of this stuff is training us for anxiety right you know our yeah. brain is going we need to be vigilant all the time. We need to be on top of things all the time. We need to be doing this, that. It's a constant influx of information. It's go, go, go in- instead of go, rest, go, rest type of a type of a balance. Yeah. And that basically will train your brain to actually physiologically wire itself in a fashion that is more conducive to anxiety. Um, the same is true for depression, right? Where depression is marked by you know a lot of negative self thoughts right things about reflecting back on ourselves and maybe saying that we're not good enough or we don't like this or we're frustrated about something in our lives and that too creates those pathways if that's what you're always thinking about those pathways in your brain that are you know, uh, en- enacting the depressive thoughts or anxious thoughts are actually getting stronger. Yeah. And that's why though these mental health conditions can be such a you know, really, really tough battle, like a really deep mire for people to try and get out of. Because if your brain's been, if you've been, you know, had depression or anxiety or anything for a number of years, number of years, you're then fighting against years of training yeah. Yeah. that, you know, these bad cycles that your brain wants to go down and that you need to kind of reorient it. And so that's where the good training comes in, right? The meditation training, 
um, you know, meditation or just like breath work, positive, you know, mantras, positive intentions, um, you know, things like that are so powerful at changing those, you know, really, you know, almost like routines in our brain, right? Our brain, you know, a, a person who has hardcore depression would wake up and their brain is prepared to be depressed. Um, if they're not doing anything about that, which can often be extremely difficult when you're suffering from that lack of motivation. And so it takes the process of beginning to go to that brain gym, right? Beginning to go and make those intentions to say, hey, I want to be able to live a a more happier life, just not be as burnt out or just have more life satisfaction. And so that's where you begin and i would say you begin to have a small meditation practice so if there's anybody out there that's feels like they're in that boat of the negative training and has not tried meditation or has either maybe tried it and um thought that they had failed at it or if it wasn't for them or maybe just kind of passed over it that just like going to the gym you can't go to the gym with the idea of wanting to be a power lifter and on your first day of the gym go and do some hardcore like full-on like you know 200 pound deadlift or something crazy like that even though in your head maybe you were looking at those people and those were your inspirations and so you know that's more like like an obvious thing of people will okay i'd have to start small in the physical gym to build my muscles But sometimes we don't realize that it's the exact same for the mental gym as well, the mental aspects of our lives, where if you want to start to begin to meditate, begin to kind of, um, you know, control your mind and your thoughts in a way, always start really small. Because I think the biggest mistake and a very common mistake is that people will jump off the deep end really quick and they'll go and do like a 30 minute Zen guided meditation or some very deep meditation. And maybe that works well for them but i think the majority of the people that i've had experience with um they can't they don't have the like it's like stamina right even just to hold your brain for five minutes when you're starting out is hard to to control your your thoughts your negative thoughts the things that are constantly bumping into your brain And when you, when a lot of people feel those things coming into their meditation, that's when they have those thoughts about, oh, I'm not good at this. This is not for me. I tried it, but I just couldn't get stuff out of my head and et cetera, et cetera. And to those people, I always say, well, just make the smallest intention that you will try and meditate for 60 seconds every day. And 60 seconds is like nothing, right? You set a timer on your phone, 60 seconds you know, there's a million places we have 60 seconds to do things. And what almost always happens in that case is that if they begin to do the 60 second meditation, they will naturally do one, two, three, four minutes or upwards of that. Yeah. Um, The same is true for, um, and I've had this as well, where you are a meditator and maybe you're used to doing it for 15 minutes or more. And you just you're just tired that day. Like you don't want to yeah. do it. You just you're getting those mental blocks that just are like, yeah, just zet, sit on the couch, do nothing. And I'd kind of go to myself, okay, just try sixty seconds. Do a sixty second yeah. meditation, and then usually I would just go for like the full fifteen minutes if I had started that sixty seconds. 
um because yeah. usually that 60 seconds is enough you know if you're doing deep breathing and things to like cut off that top layer of stress and black mm -hmm. that has been keeping you from this stuff um and so all that training and everything that amounts to what we in science call um and people may have heard this phrase it's called state into trait um so a state is a temporary state like a, a state of meditation a state of happiness right. a state of sadness it's a temporary state a trait is something that is like a part of you it's part of your personality it's the thing that is just you know inherent um to yourself um and actually i was listening to uh one of your previous episodes that was all about intention with um well thank you lauren i think yeah, uh, shout out Lauren. Yeah, and that was a great episode as well. Uh, she was really good. I, I enjoyed the episode. And you had made the comment, I, I think that, um, I think you had started it with some meditation stuff at some point and found that it, there was a time when the benefits of the meditation or almost like the attitude of the med meditation bled into the rest of your life so i think you mm -hmm. mentioned like you weren't as reactive to things i think or something like that oh, it's like yeah. something like meditation makes you more peaceful and then when you do it for a while when you go out and something bothers you something you know something happens that would usually like get your anxiety up that it doesn't you know that reactivity is not there nearly yeah. as much um, and I was like, I was listening to that and I was like, oh, that is like the perfect example um, of what you had of state into trait because there's, you know, the peaceful, non-reactive meditative state that you had been cultivating. And those states were, you know, you know whatever you did, like three, 15, an hour, a minute, you know, how many minutes a day was a temporary state. And then, you know, over, I don't know how long it became a part of yourself to where you didn't think about it. and so that's kind of the result of the training right so it's like yeah. your brain has naturally adjusted and literally like rewired its cells in such a fashion to make your your natural reaction to something that you know just happened in the environment what you had been cultivating you know at home or on the meditation cushion or, or whatever yeah um, it was very much um, not to cut you off. It was it was very much a I was struggling for years to sit on the mat, kind of what you're talking about, mm -hmm. um, kind of an ode to our generation of just, you know, instant validation. We want to be good at something immediately. And I had to recognize that at the point that I was in right when I was starting Kundalini and really like I had done simple meditations here and there throughout the years, but I had never really, you know, taken a deep dive into it. And I remember I was just so sick of where I was at in life and like my interactions with others were not, at, it was more of like I was a pushover kind of in my life and then I would get reactive internally and I'm trying to figure out why this pattern is happening. So I'm like, okay, all I can do right now is I've tried to study all the books of like why this might be happening, why I'm meeting these um, reactive people in my life. And I was starting to ask myself like, oh, like what am I mirroring that's like, causing this and them too a little bit and so I decided to do a 30-day challenge where I was like every single day no matter what because I just was I got to that point where I was so sick of myself um, which I'm not recommending for everybody <laughs> but 
that kind of is what happens, right? Like most of us, we have that catalyst where it's like, I'm so sick of myself. Something's got to change. Yeah. The straw that <laughs> breaks the camel's back kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And and so that was my personal story is that I just was like, you know, for 30 days, if I can do that and just try to do this for a little bit and, and exactly what you were saying, it was like, I was doing um, guided meditation. So it was luckily easier for me to you know, listen and then switch from whatever kundalini breath work I was doing to another one that was really helpful for my overactive mind. And once I got through the 30 days, it was like, wow, I wish I did this sooner for sure. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah. And so many people have that reaction too, to where it's almost this like toolbox of, you know, just like, just like with, with the gym analogy, like there's all yeah. these machines you can do to get your body to be shaped in different ways but that's true for the mental side too. Like we don't have to be just constantly, you know, uh, a boat on the ocean getting pushed around by the yeah. waves. Uh, Which was are... so me. <laughs> that's a great analogy. That's a yeah, great analogy. I, think... I was like, why am I out of control? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so many people. And, you know, I was the same. And many of the people that I had pleasure of meeting and working with were the same. And I kind of identified this power dynamic to where we really have the ultimate authority over our own brains right over our own and our brains create our perceptions and our perceptions are reality basically to a certain degree um and most people have this inverted power dynamic to where normally it should be us on top and then the brain is below right yeah yeah and then they've inverted that or most of us invert that to where we are below our brain. So whatever our mm. brain is telling us, we're like, okay, sure, I'm going with that. Oh, this is yeah. a, uh, you know, social anxiety will tell you that the social environment is a dangerous environment and mm -hmm. give you vigilance and all these, you know, fight or flight responses and this or that. And typically we'll go, yeah, okay, social anxiety. I need, this is a bad area. This is dangerous. And people agree with that or- yeah you know, the same is true of like chronic pain and things like that. Um, mm. Stresses, um, so many things that our brain just goes, here you go. And we go, okay, I'll take all this pain, this stress, yeah. these, this weirdly over vigilant behavior that you shouldn't have. We accept it. And really it should come from the top down, the top being ourselves, our awareness, mm. our consciousness, our identity, um, and when you can flip that power dynamic, you can begin to, you know, recognize your own patterns, recognize things that are happening in your life. Um, also, like it's even not just mental things, but physical things as well, because the mental part of our brain, and if you've heard of like psychosomatic illness or, or something like oh, that, right. where um, our mental wellness completely is integrated with our physical wellness. Um, and so some people say, say things like, oh, a psychosomatic illness just means it's, and they go, they like brush their hand, like, oh, it's just in your head. It's just, and they downplay it. And they, and then I'm like, well, actually that is a huge testament to the power of the brain where it's able to create such a negative experience yeah. uh, for you. Um, and that when you can work with that, 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 you know, the stress and, you know, just say like just the one aspect of stress, for example, stress causes so much inflammation, like in your mm -hmm. body in general, that somebody who is constantly under mental duress or stress or has PTSD, you know, anxiety, any of the things that we talked about and more, 
their body is being fed back to and signaled in such a way that something stressful we need to like be in protective mode we need to like get inflammatory things out there we need to be protected from this and that um you know there even could be some you know there's some evidence to where like autoimmunity you know with the immune system can be like related to that as well where we're almost so toxic to ourselves and get our own immune reactions flared up just to a certain degree that um, they can turn on us and maybe, you know, have some sort of degradation within the body just because of the constant, you know, negative energy, negative feedback that's being um, pumped through. Um, That's so interesting too, because autoimmune diseases are so on the rise, uh, whereas we have so much more technology and so much more quote unquote knowledge in these nutrition spaces and health spaces. And it's interesting that that would be prevalent right now when it shouldn't, you know, technically it shouldn't, we should probably have this figured out. And so it's interesting. Yeah. So that part of um, endocrinology, which is like the study of hormones and like the immune system and immunology was studying autoimmunity and things like that. Um, I hope it's a little bit more advanced now, but I definitely recognized when I was going through like my medical studies um, for my master's that this area of medical science is like so unknown. Like it's really, it's just like so mysterious. It's very like hard to penetrate in terms of like what's happening here. Weird. Um, so there's a lot of treatments that are being tried for. And that's why things like um, you know, Lyme disease and things mm. like that can be very difficult to treat because it's like well what is really happening here in this person's body what where is this coming from why is it doing this is it a genetic thing that just expressed itself or was there something in the environment that triggered these immune cells to then turn on a certain aspect of the body um and so it's kind of like it there are some genetics to it there is some environmental aspects to it the treatments are very, you know, I'd say variously effective. It can be good for some people. Some people just don't get any effect. Um, so it's a very mysterious part of medical science right now is autoimmunity. And as you said, like that stuff's on the rise. And um, I know like I developed after I came to America, I developed a celiac issue, like a... Sorry, our food, our food (laughs) system. See, that's another thing too. Like the bread in Europe, amazing. I'm so sorry we've done that to you. It's all good. (laughs) It comes with the territory, I guess. It's just the wild wild west. You never know what you're going to get. I guess Um, not, but it's sad. It should not be the case. Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, nutrition's a huge aspect of that. And just like, you know... I talk a lot about the the brain, right? Because I'm a brain scientist. That's kind of my focus. But, yeah. you know, I'm glad you mentioned like the, your experiences with Kriya yoga as well, because Kriya mm. you know, is very much about the body and the spinal cord and working through the energy yeah. like of within the body, within the, the spinal cord. Um, and that is a process that almost combines like body work and mental work into one Mm -hmm. physical you know aspect and so if there's like aspects of meditation that combine both of those like I think like body scans are great in terms of like incorporating a body scan into your um, routine of like if you want to start meditation a great way to a relax yourself 
and be, you know, integrate with your own body is to do what's called like a body scan, which is where, you know, you're laying or you're sitting or however you like to meditate. And you start with your feet and you mm-hmm. check in with them. You f- just feel them, feel, you know, just perceive them what they're perceiving and bring your awareness into them. You know, notice any pain or any stuff or any positional stuff. Um, any tension and then you, you know you move through your feet your ankles mm-hmm. knees hips all the way up through the top of your head and then kind of do and you can do like the whole body and so on and so forth and it's great to integrate that stuff because the brain is never separate from the body and the body is never separate from the brain like we have this you may have heard like the the brain body connection or the mind body connection being yeah. like a common phrase because the more that we're learning about the neuroscience of the body and the um you know it's called like the peripheral nervous system is that you know in the peripheral nervous system which is like there's a central which is your brain and your spinal cord and then the peripheral is everything else that fans out into the mm-hmm. um sides of your body and your arms and your legs and your organs and so on um and so what people are finding is that there's tremendous connections, especially between things like the heart and the brain, the the gut and the brain. So the gut and the stomach, I think per our current knowledge, and I think this may stay that the gut brain connection is like the thickest connection between the brain and the body. And funnily enough, our gut health so like you know your microbiome and your probiotics and all this stuff and the food that you eat and the nutrition has a direct relation on your mental health because we're realizing that a there's these neurological signals that are feeding you know from your gut to your brain telling your brain i'm am i in a state of wellness are things good is it all like okay or are we in a state of stress and pain and feed giving Mm -hmm. those signals back And another thing associated with the gut-brain connection is that a lot of the bacteria that reside inside of our uh, intestines Mm -hmm. break down our food for us in a way that the brain can then then like take in and ingest Mm -hmm. and use as like fuel, you know, so basically taking that, that bacteria takes our food and makes it into stuff that's good for our brain to right. um, function. And if we don't get that, then your brain is, you know, quote unquote starving, right? It's not getting the yeah. things that it needs. Um, so that's why people who, like for me, exa- for example, I had a heck of a time before I found out it was the gluten that was hurting yeah. me. And so, and I'm sure plenty of people have had a similar experience where when your stomach is really bad, you can start getting brain fog and yeah, even like me. stress and anxiety and stuff, right? And yeah, yeah. you can really feel it like yeah. what's in my gut is affecting my awareness right now. Yeah. Um, and there's even like um, associations that they're finding between, you know, basically testing, you know, the, the gut microbiome, the bacteria, the cells and the nutrients in the gut. And finding that there's an association between that and things like uh, people who have like developed schizophrenia oh, wow. and different like mental health conditions. Because before you'd be like, oh, schizophrenia, we'll look in the brain, we'll find where in the brain that that's going on. But really, there's something downstream, there's a nutritional something that's going on, something with the microbiome to where they're finding that people who suffer from schizophrenia 
have a a certain kind of stomach that is different from other wow. people and it shares some commonalities and i'm sure there's plenty of other things that relate to that um, especially with like anxiety and depression and and blood yeah. sugar and nutrients and just our, our overall wellness because i have heard as well um the adhd situation with mm -hmm. kids yes. and oh yeah okay, if it's a child who's grown up eating a lot of refined sugars, a lot of red dyes, um, you know, cereals that have dyes in them, just these these added components to our foods. Um, they were looking at the rise of ADHD in children and it was, you know, they were taking a look at their their diet. And I will, I will know and say that I was, I've been somebody who's been diagnosed as an ADHD person. And I will say that when I eat certain things, I will notice more brain fog. I will notice more um, of an, in, uh, what's the word? I'm less capable of mm -hmm. remaining focused and cognizant on what's going on around me at the time. Like I'm thinking about all these different things around me and I'm like, okay, so for me, I need to pay attention to the food as well. So it's it's interesting though that I've never known about the schizophrenia thing with the, the gut. Mm -hmm connection because that yeah. it makes so much as soon as you said that I was like wow yeah. that it it makes sense now if, if we can connect it with ADHD if we can connect it with anxiety and depression then we just haven't looked at it for schizophrenia yet or all these other things it's so interesting yeah exactly and as time goes on you know that science will just will get more and more elucidated and people will make more and more associations and I'm sure and it's almost like we already know, right, that our food yeah. is kind of killing us, especially in the West. Like it's pretty toxic just because it's yeah. mass produced. It has to travel a long way from like the farm or the factory or wherever to the grocery store. And the grocery store it has to have a certain shelf life if it gets yeah. to our home. And that pumps it full of so much things that are, you know, so many things that are unnatural for our bodies that we're just finding out what the effects of those things are right yeah. because it was not a none of these put things were put in for a medical or nutritional no. very rarely it's a business <laughs> it's an industrial concern it's like it's you know how can we take something mass produce it in a way that is the most cost effective gives us the highest shelf life you know etc cetera, etc cetera. like there's always like that old joke i remember from the simpsons i think there's some truth to it where like a twinkie will just like last forever like you oh, can't yeah, harm I think... a Twinkie. It's just like a pure artificial log of imitation food or something. Is that where that came from, the Sim Simpsons? Because I, I remember as a kid, yeah. they were they always said Twinkies never expire. Yeah, so I thought so that was I, real. <laughs> I heard that too. Like growing up in Ireland, I'd seen that in the Simpsons. That's like a big way we get American culture in Ireland. It's like through the Simpsons being like, oh, is this a thing? And you know, we didn't have we we didn't have twink. We don't have Twinkies in Ireland or. Ho -hos or any of that uh like hostess hostess cakes i guess or whatever they are yeah yeah uh, see so we just heard the legend of these invincible <laughs> dessert foods from america that would like those irish legends of twinkies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like we've got potato fabins you've got like invincible twinkies that <laughs> are gonna last until you know archaeologists are digging them up in like two thousand years oh god um, scary like that you know and so that's something that is very much unstudied and the real results of when when society makes a change like that especially in you know like the industrialization of america and so on like in the 50s and moving into our modern age of just grocery store everything's available 
life that we are now seeing the long-term results of what happens when people spend their lives eating this stuff and then uh, when generations go by and then their kids are raised with this stuff and this and that or like fast food and there's always like the I've seen it a few times like the McDonald's burger in a museum that like doesn't ever oh, degrade yeah. or like certain butters or like um like fake butter and certain margarines and stuff like no insect or bacteria will ever like touch it because it's just like undigestible plastic to them and I think oh chemically God. it is like very similar to plastic with just some modifications to make it a yeah. spreadable food item I and think so that you missed the butter craze like so I'm assuming it was probably 2008 2009 that you moved here yeah you said about, yeah, about, about 07 yeah Okay, 07. So it was like, I remember, God, 2002 through like 2005 was the, I can't believe it's not butter craze. Mm. You did not have butter for a few years because everybody's parents, everybody's mom who was, you know, on a, trying to be health conscious and keep their yeah. body right. They all got the, <laughs> those spreads and I'm realizing mm. now, oh my God, that was terrible. Like, that was not good. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's such a, like a hard call to make too. Cause I remember I went in and I had like, for some reason, like slightly high cholesterol in mm -hmm. my blood. Right. And they're like, okay, well you can't have real butter anymore. Oh, And then it's like, okay, so I guess I kind of have to have this stuff. And it's like that balance of, okay, well, there's the fake stuff that I, I mean, it's advertised as, you know, made with this vegetable oils, blah, 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 or hopefully good stuff. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe not. I know it's still untouchable by bugs and bacteria and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I can't have the real butter. And the interesting thing about real butter or a lot of animal products these days is that they contain like the animals, like hormones and byproducts um. and things. So even beyond, um, cause they have like, you know, hormones and steroids they'll do right. for like, you know, bigger beef and bet more butter and blah, blah, blah. Um, right. and even in the ones that are free from that, um, there's an increasing, you know, um, recognition of when you have an animal product, like for example, you're eating that animals like thyroid hormone for example because oh. it's just a natural thing that is circulating in their body and right. then you take the product or a cut of meat or the milk or something like that and so then you know there's more and more evidence showing this aspect of you know it was like for me for example um I have like autoimmune thyroid um and mm. that's something I had for a while and so theoretically if I was wanting to keep a really good hold on my hormone levels um red meat would be bad or those animal products right. especially because it's like oh you're also just getting the mammalian thyroid hormone that just happened to be circling in this cow because it's a living mammal just like us oh. with the thyroid and all these different right. organs um Oh, and that's so interesting because every cut of beef is going to be different. So it's like one yeah. could spike something and I actually need to be more, I need to go to an endocrinologist actually, because that's the, that's what my family has is like the thyroid Oh yeah. thing. So mm -hmm. I've, I've been fine for now, but I, I definitely am so conscious of it because you just never, it, you know, it's more prevalent. And uh, that's so interesting to note though, that every animal is different like that. Like you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Think so about that. We're getting all this stuff in our bodies that we're 
realizing more and more is is bad for us right and and yeah. less and less of our diet is proportionally healthy foods or natural or foods that let's just say we as a human animal should be eating according to nature right because we need yeah. things like green you know like roughage and plants and spinach and a lot of different natural products and grains and things like that and those are a lot of the things that feed our microbiome, like those mm -hmm. bacteria that are helping us in our gut. And when we don't get that, so like a lot of kids these days are growing up, like not eating fruit and vegetables right. and stuff like that. They are starving out their microbiome, their intestinal bacteria, and basically creating the situation where maybe they'd be more prone to ADHD or yeah. schizophrenia or just stress or anger issues or whatever number of a million different things that could be affecting according to their unique personality and brain. Right. Um, so more and more kids are just, you know, growing up on soda and more artificial foods and things like that. And that's deteriorating like the integrity of just like the whole human body and the mind body connection. Um, and it's, it's causing a lot of different things like, you know, like, so relating to the body and also like tying a bit back into meditation, you know, you, our body. And so I mentioned that peripheral nervous system, right. Which is like mm -hmm. the, the other part of your, um, not your central nervous system, but the part that controls your body and your organs and your heart rate and your breathing, um, and things like that. And, there's two main branches of, so there's, you know, for the, to get it right for the scientific classification, there is the autonomic nervous system mm -hmm. and under, and the autonomic nervous system, an easy way to remember that is that it's the automatic nervous system. It's the mm -hmm. things that we don't actively do. It's the things our bodies are, are doing. And there's two natural branches of that system. Um, one's called the sympathetic system and one's called the parasympathetic system mm -hmm. and they're known by like their very common work uh, titles of the fight or flight system or the rest and digest system and so they're kind of two sides of a coin one the sympathetic is your fight or flight it's the one that activates you it raises your heart rate raises your cortisol um, it draws blood away from your intestines because you're not going to be digesting anything. You need blood in your muscles and in mm -hmm. the things that are ready to fight stress, right? This is almost like right. an evolutionary adaptation to where you are being put into a mode where maybe there's a predator around and you need mm -hmm. all the systems to protect yourself. The flip side of that is the parasympathetic side, and it's called rest and digest because it's responsible for a restful state of mind, relaxation, recuperation, recovery, telling your body, hey, we're in a safe space right now so we can start to do the repairs. We can start okay. to just like build back the bridges and connections that were damaged throughout the day. Um, and also the digestion. So it'll like enact the, the digestive system and allow blood to go to or, you know, to support the organs and the intestines and give them the nutrients they need to function as best as they can. And so with all of these like modern stressors that we have, so the stuff we talked about with the diet and the way it's affecting our body, the stuff we talked about with the negative training and our body and our mind, and the stuff we talked about like social media and news headlines and this and that, and yeah. just the overall like hyperactive state of 20.
if we, you know, I was, I was going to say like Western society, but really it's like almost all societies these days yeah. are quite similar in, in that chaos of got to go, 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 be competitive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, especially in Los Angeles where I've lived there and I know you live there. I think there's a lot mm. of that attitude there as well of like, got to be the best. You got to have, you know, just everything set up and anyway. Um, yeah. That- I've always been outside of that because I'm like, I stay at home and like, <laughs> just, <laughs> but I get it because you can fall into that, especially if you're like in a specific field, it's very much like, oh, yeah. oh I guess I should be doing something else. You know, it's very like uh, contagious. Yeah. yeah yeah and it's like I worked in on in Santa Monica on like Wilshire Boulevard which is like a very oh, yeah. busy street and it's like everybody's you know I see celebrities every day like you'd see everybody dressed up to the nines all the high power CEOs and gold cars and blah 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 and everybody's <laughs> like they're trying to reach those pinnacles of material uh, yeah. worth and aesthetics and all those type of things and that all of that stuff in our environment creates um is overactivating our sympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. that fight or flight because we're constantly being reinforced with the fact that you need to be vigilant you need to be on yeah. the ball you need to be awake and alert and be ready for opportunities be ready to do this be ready to do that you know uh, don't rest just do it all hardcore get it all yeah. done and and this type of mentality and that is promoting a very intense imbalance in the human body because there should be a natural balance between the fight or flight the sympathetic and the rest and digest the parasympathetic and that's just kind of how the the human body naturally has its balance to where i'm active when i need to be active and when that when i need to stop being active then it automatically clicks back into rest mode rest and relaxation and i can recuperate allow my body to like not be spending all of these you know pumping out cortisol and burning sugar and nutrients and everything just trying like be always alert Mm -hmm. and the parts of your brain and body that are associated with this fight or flight system are often the very primitive ones and just like I mentioned before like the ones that are uh, responsible for like alerting you and making you ready if there was like a wild wild animal or a threat okay. or some kind of survival scenario and so being in a survival state of mind again just is like a very bad training regime for our brains yeah. and we're all like tied up into that and we can see so many people that are just burning out at record rates like you see burnout is this thing and people yeah. and this whole like work from home versus going back to the office and people are like avoiding the office like the plague because it's like, yeah. it's like no I don't want to go back to like the ultra stressed out environment and all this pressure and these yeah. people and like the bosses and the productivity and this and that um because it's not right it's not a natural balance for the human body to be in that environment you know we yeah. as a human society have created a civilization and a culture that is toxic to our natural well-being Right. Um, the whatever era of humanity we're in now, that's all this developmental stuff and all building up cities and building up technology is just extremely toxic to the normal health of how a human being should be conducting themselves. Um, yeah. So that's why, again, you know, meditation is so wonderful is that meditation is something that activates that parasympathetic side of things. Right. Um, and really, you know, gets us out of ourselves a little bit and 
allows restores that balance right because if mm-hmm. we're like 80 percent fight or flight and 20 percent rest and digest and it needs to be 50 50 you can start training yourself to have that balance you know just like you in your example with the you know reactivity of somebody in the day you know maybe before you would have gone more with the fight or flight or some kind of something um but then through some training or just through meditation and through your own intention and desire to not kind of give into those impulses you've allowed the parasympathetic response to naturally um, present itself and that type of tone is like very like it's restoring the human body to a natural state and in the the human body's natural state if it's well fed and well rested it can actually like self-heal from many many different things like the billion things that drag us down on a daily basis are caused by all these little micro insults a million times a day through all of the social media the nutrition and so on and people are getting very unhealthy in in general and the state of human health is poor and that's because we're not in a state that's conducive to actually healing ourselves um and you know, I think actually, you know, another cool little point that I'll, I'll add on to that about just some of the, the science is that when we do brain scans of people that are doing meditation, um, one of the areas that we see being toned down is an area, um, it's a part of the uh, medial prefrontal cortex. So it's like right here on like an inside kind of flap on the frontal part of your brain. Um, and it's actually like, it's part of that frontal lobe, part of like that area of the brain that's actually, um, it, like, it'd be part of the brain that's like uniquely human. Like you can see like chimpanzees and gorillas share a lot of our behaviors and a lot of our brain structure and stuff like that. But there are things about humans that are very different that allow us that ability to think and abstract think and think about things that are not directly in front of us in, in an environment to be imaginative mm. and so on. Um, to make plans and decisions Um, so yeah and there's the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex which is um, I think the most recent evolutionary developed region of the human brain I have to double check that I'm almost certain that it is but that's like another cool factoid and that's part of the executive part of your brain and that can be very active during like flow state when you're just like Mm -hmm you can do things, you can plan, you can make decisions. Um, And that's in contrast to the area right next to it, which is the one I just mentioned, the medial prefrontal cortex, just call it like the MPFC um, or the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, just DLPFC. Um, They're not very good names, but it's what what we got. It's okay. (laughs) Um, uh, And so that medial prefrontal cortex is an area of the brain that's really responsible for self-referential thinking, Mm -hmm. right? The ability to have a thought and reflect back on oneself. And oftentimes this is, this is um, in more of a, like a negative context, right? Because this is where the self, the automatic self-talk can be enacted and presented to your consciousness. This is like, so self-referential thoughts are, you know, I'm not good at this, or you, you know, you're, you're trying to do a task, and you're like, I, I hate this, my job sucks, blah, blah, blah. It's things that are like, not of the task itself, but are you relating back to how you relate to the task? So mm. it's very like that inward narrator type thing that's commenting on things you're doing. 
Um, and most of the time it can be quite a negative voice because of the way we're trained, right? Of like, yeah. hmm, you could do better. Oh, you painted a picture. Somebody else's picture is probably a lot better than yours. Oh, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, and so when we, we see those areas starting to kind of dampen and loosen their hold in meditation and, you know, we see areas of the brain like, um, like the precuneus is an area in the back. So on the back top, right where males get that male pattern balding kind of oh. spot, right? That crown. Interesting. Um, so behind there along the cortex. So just under that skull in the wrinkly pink part of your brain on the top, there's an area called the precuneus. And that's been associated a lot with um, your identity. Like oh. almost, it's, it's very surreal. It's very trippy. It's almost like your knowledge of yourself being yourself um and so it's like so when you think about people that get into deep meditative states or if anybody's kind of experienced it where you are almost like out there in a more objective conscious awareness as opposed mm -hmm. to your own localized like little self awareness um it's almost like where people say they don't identify with themselves but like with nature or the whole world or with the cosmos or they're expanding their awareness out of things oh. and part of the reason for that is the areas of the brain responsible for kind of cohesively identifying you as you in your own brain uh, begins to loosen dampen down um a very interesting thing that you know might illustrate this because it's a very trippy subject like what does it mean to be ourselves or the knowledge right. of ourselves Right. Um, the greatest example I have, if people have ever experienced or know what lucid dreaming is. Um, so I'll just like, I'll do like a quick little elevator speech. If people aren't aware, lucid dreaming is basically being aware in your dream that you are yourself and that you are in a dream, mm. um, as opposed to, let's just say normal dream dreaming if you want to call it that to where usually we're not aware of oh i'm actually a person laying in a bed at night right now yeah um, you know when you're in a dream you're not thinking about unless it's the dream's about this specific thing but you're usually not thinking about oh i gotta go to the grocery store in the morning <laughs> oh i got these friends i gotta meet tomorrow usually the dream and in at least some of my experiences and some other people's experiences like Sometimes you're yourself, some, sometimes you're somebody else. Sometimes it feels like you're acting out a script of something that maybe you wouldn't normally do. Yeah. Um, and so dreams can be really weird and really wacky and things like situations you would normally never put yourself in. Yeah. Um, and so oftentimes in dreams, we are almost de-identified with ourselves, right? And so the precuneus um, that part of the brain in that background that's associated with identity is being dampened within the dream state because in the dream state you don't you don't always know that you're you at least you don't know that you're the you that you are in the same way when you're awake um, like it's a very trippy concept but like if you've had a lucid dream like the difference is pretty clear and then so the lucid dreaming side of things uh, there's been some studies done and there need to be more done, but the, there are some studies done that show when somebody clicks into that lucid dream state. Mm -hmm. So when they go into lucid dream and then they have that um, like moment of lucidity, I call it, which is where you have uh, either uh, something that triggers you that you've trained for as a memory to alert yourself that you're actually awake or you mean that you're actually dreaming 
or there's different automatic processes that can, and sometimes you can get spontaneous lucidity where it comes out of nowhere and you're like, oh my God, I'm in a dream. What the heck? Yeah. Um, that part of the, when you're lucid dreaming and all of a sudden you remember you are yourself. Like for me, like going into a lucid dream or becoming lucid in a dream, I'll be going through the dream, you know, the dream script, blah, 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 whatever's going on in that dream. And then when lucidity happens in my brain, I remember, oh, yes, I'm laying in my bedroom right now. I am me. Um, I already made a plan to where if I became lucid in a dream, here's the things that I wanted to do or wanted to work mm -hmm. on or experiment with or play with or whatever it is. And it's almost like the awareness that you have in your waking state with all of your memories, all your plans, all of your personality is then, you know, integrated into the dream self. And we've seen that precuneus in the back that seems to hold on to a lot of those identity identifying, you know, circuits being activated in that lucid dream state. Um, so it's kind of a curious thing where the sense of self is housed in various parts of the brain. And when you begin to like loosen those holes and go into different types of meditations that take you out and beyond, those like parts of your brain begin to, you know, quiet, they begin to like lower their activity. And with that mm. comes the experiential part of, well, I am now not identifying as myself so I can spread my awareness out and identify as a larger something, I, I recognize myself as a part of nature or, or recognize myself as a human among many, many humans on this giant planet and we're all interconnected. And, you know, yeah. the people that, that have experiences on like psychedelics where it's like, oh, we're all like unified. We have this illusion of separation, but we're all like unified. Right. And, and all of like the sober people go, yeah, sure, whatever. And they're like, no, no, but you, you don't understand because that's that aspect of meditation that allows the self to be removed and then interesting things kind of you can when you, when you get out of your own way you can perceive interesting things or perceive the world in a way that is completely different from your previous individualistic kind of like this one brain this one body these two eyes kind of like mentality yeah. and just kind of blow it out into very different experiences um so yeah that kind of stuff is like very fascinating and it's getting es very esoteric and the more that we study um the more that we're realizing that there's so much to meditation like it's almost like you know they always say like you should do somebody should do or everybody should do some kind of exercise just to keep their body healthy yeah we should always have it like somebody should do some kind of meditation or breath work or intention manifestation work or, or whatever right. vibes with them um and you know it's almost a thing like i argue that like this should be taught in schools to kids at a young age because imagine if you had the tools at a young age to realize yeah. and were taught at a young age that you control your mind and your mind does this and that and it'll want to take you um into fight or flight mode but you don't have to give in to those perceived threats that it's giving you or any of those types of things. Um, I think it would just totally transform human civilization because it's like, hey, there's this whole Swiss army knife, this whole toolbox, this whole like gym yeah. that we have access to just 
inside of ourselves that if people could access it, it would change lives in many, many different ways. Um, Agreed. People would actually recognize that you don't have to live on autopilot. It's not something that somebody else is destined to not live and you you got the wrong pick of the 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 straw whatever the short straw and uh you can't control your life it's like no there's there are tools like you're talking about and you can actually control yourself wow that would be yeah that would be generational uh changing yeah. <laughs> our kids you know like they'd be looking at us like their grandparents would be like y'all are crazy reality you know they're all yeah. like are you so stressed out it's, you know it's just yeah. traffic what are you talking about you know right. calm down come down grandpa right the inventions <laughs> that that generation would just come up with they'd be like no need you yeah. know we're good like yeah. and the way just... that they could structure a company or a work environment right. to be conducive to the company and the livelihoods of all of the members and employees and everybody that's involved yeah. in that um and it's so fascinating yeah and it's it's so important i think if people you know just gave it a try and if people are like on the fence or they feel it's not for them just try that 60 seconds you know Um, if i was to give people you know one like small technique it's i always say like breath work is um some of the number one things because a it's it's like reasonably secular right it's like breath work can lead you to very deep spiritual places but at the same time like breath work belongs to no religion it's just yeah. a natural product so people that are like oh i don't want to do hindu stuff or buddhist stuff yeah. i'm a christian or some other type of thing that you can, oh no breath work is just a natural part of your natural self and your natural toolbox to help impact yourself um because while while most of the time our breath work is uh, automatic our body breathes for us um, same with heart rate, blood pressure, a whole bunch of other different stuff that we can't control. Like heart rate, you can't decide. I want like, to breathe. I want to. I want it to be slower. I want it to be higher. I want my. I'm going to lower my yeah. blood pressure right now and then think about it and make it happen. You know, we don't have that volitional control over those aspects, but we do have volitional control over breath work and our breathing rate. And physiologically, our breathing rate affects our heart rate and our blood pressure right. and our you know, that, that parasympathetic, sympathetic system, that fight or flight or rest and digest system. And so really when there's all this automatic stuff going on, the one like lever we have, this one little point of access, this one like amazing, almost like gift that's been granted to us as humans is the ability to control our breath. And I know that many um, like ancient religions will say that, oh, like the, the breath is the path to the soul and stuff like that, because it's like, through controlling your breath work you can tap into your interior self both body and mind um, and begin to adjust those in a way that's fortuitous and happy and you know effortless um you know and bountiful in good moods and positive vibes and non-reactivity um and so it's always getting ever fascinating I mean, I could listen to you talk forever. So I, first off, I already, you you already know that I want you back on here <laughs> multiple oh, times be, to go it'd into. Be, it'd be my pleasure. Yeah. Okay, great. Be, to go into different topics, because I think that this is a, 
this is something that if I saw myself in a parallel life, I would have totally gone down the same path. Like there has been something so intriguing about the brain and the mind and the body to me that I can't relinquish just being so fascinated by it because, yeah. but you know, it, it, it's, it begs the entire question of who are we? Why are we here? It, it's literally, you know, yeah. the, the thing that, begs those questions and does tie these two spaces in of science and and spirituality and the two i love how you said this at the beginning of the episode is that the two are far more similar than they are different yeah, um, it's just absolutely. different languages i feel like for yeah the same thing yeah. um so i absolutely love all the information that you have shared and please i'm gonna have you back on sooner than later because <laughs> i'm like keep going um but for everybody who um, you know, might want to ask a question just so you know, Kiefer's a busy guy, but, uh, he's also extremely kind and intelligent and I'm sure we'll give you some advice on where to start or maybe some book recommendations on how to get into, uh, meditation or, you know, whatever you recommend. So where, where can people find you or if they want to reach out or maybe if they want to consult you at, um, your place of work, I'm not sure if you're working at the same place, um, but where can people find Kiefer O'Sullivan? Yeah, so um, so right now I'm a contract scientist. I'm living in uh, beautiful Monterey right now. So I'm uh, working at home and I do different contracts with different companies or individuals that may want, you know, maybe science, some kind of scientific research or knowledge or consulting on some of the things we've discussed today and more, um, or doing like the practitioner side of things where taking, uh, you know, corporate groups or individuals or people that want to get the experiential side going as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of where my career is at right now. And so I'm very much like my schedule is dependent on what my contracts are because the contract right. work is always sometimes you're working for two straight months, then you get like three weeks and there's not much, but then it's up and down, up and down, especially with today's economy and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But um, so for people who want to learn more or reach out, ask questions, um, I'd love to have that. So you could email me at ponderbrainscience.com or ponderbrainscience at gmail.com. Uh, my Instagram handle is, I don't do a lot of uh, science stuff on my Instagram, but it is a, a way to reach me. I think it is my one remaining social media at this, but at this oh, point, I've like good deleted for you. Like everything. I'm so close to doing the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like done with Facebook for a long time. Twitter recently in the last couple of months I dropped Reddit I just dropped now I'm just trying to like okay Instagram has the people that I actually know on it so I can yeah. um you know keep it so uh Kiefer OS so my name K-I-E-F-E-R and then the letters OS which are also Sanford O'Sullivan that's my Instagram handle um as well as that uh, I do have a small website where I have collected just some of my articles that I've um, written on some brain stuff, like the neuroscience of like identity, or um, I've also got some tips for people that want to get started with lucid dreaming or something like that. So I, I teach lucid dreaming as well. Um, so that's ponderbrain.com, P-O-N-D-E-R brain.com. I love that. First of all, I didn't know you taught lucid dreaming so oh we, we could do a whole episode on lucid dreaming because i have not had somebody do that yet oh i love uh, that that's like it's surreal lucid dreaming is such a surreal like yeah. odd yet natural topic to talk because it's like one of those things there it's like 
off the wall when you talk about it, but really it's just a natural thing that a human can do. So I'd love to yeah. talk about that. Ooh, okay. That'll, I won't say this for the listeners. Uh, I want to say that's, that'll be the next one. And then they're like, <laughs> why isn't the next one lose a dream? But that's on the list. Okay. So yeah. anyway, um, Kiefer, thank you so much. This was a wealth of knowledge. I absolutely love this topic and I'm so appreciative of you coming on because, um, you know, here and there on the flip side, we've had people talk really uh, maybe here and there kind of subject matter. And today I feel like we got a great way of, like you said, grounding these two areas of knowledge into one um, dissertation, can we say. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just so appreciative that you came on. Your mind is beautiful and I love hearing all the little things that you're researching. <laughs> I'm just a good um, I'm just a good rambler. Just that I <laughs> to the gab, just give me a microphone and a topic and then we'll just stand up there and you know if you gave me a drink I'd be up here for three hours. That's that's the tricky part. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Over Zoom I can't do that. But next time yeah. don't don't tempt me because I'll be like you're just taking <laughs> away man. <laughs> Uh, but again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to the Flipside podcast where we talk everything upside down and inside out. And I'm sure you guys enjoyed this one because I know I did. And if you guys have any questions, you know where to find Kiefer. Um, feel free to reach out to me as well. Uh, again, go check out the merch. I'm going to have more merch available soon. Sorry I had to plug that because uh, I've been working on some creative stuff too. So anyway, I love you guys. Thank you all again for tuning in. And Kiefer and I will see you next time here on the Flipside. Bye.